Welcome to Solving the Financial Puzzle, where every week we discuss the latest issues surrounding the complicated world of personal finance. Each week, join Walter Storholt and certified financial planner Dan Capril as they help you put together the pieces of your own financial puzzle. And for more information on today's topic, visit matsonandcapril.com. Welcome to Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. Walter Storholt here with you alongside Dan Capril, certified financial planner and wealth coach here in the Cincinnati area and surrounding communities as well. Always find us online at quizdan.com, and you can always call 513-563-PLAN to get in touch. Dan, hope you're doing well. Looking forward to the podcast with you today. Yeah, I'm doing great. And in fact, speaking of quizdan.com, the website has had a complete makeover. Whoa, okay. Yeah, this is news to me. Okay. It yeah, is. This I, is exciting. I just got completed this past week. I didn't want to tell too many people about it because, you know, every once in a while you find an occasional typo. So, yeah. But um, yeah, it's. Um, we, we, we made it a little bit more simplified, and um, we also made it a lot easier to order the Retirement Rescue Toolkit. So, yeah, I see it right you, there on the homepage. Um, you can order the yeah, toolkit. It's, yeah. it's right at the top of the fold, and that's our thing. We got a lot of new stuff about to come. The podcast will, will also appears on there, too, so you can... Uh, you can go there anytime you want, and uh, you can get all the shows because it links right up to our podcast host. So, anyway, doing great, and um, excited about uh, today's topic because um, I often get these questions that always begin with, "How do you know? You know, how do you know this? How do you know that?" And uh, so I thought a lot about some of the most common ones that I get, and I get these from clients as well as just people that I'm meeting in social settings or people who know what I do or, mm-hmm. um, or even people just, you know, calling the office and, and they go, how do you know? So the first one that I get probably the most is how do you know if you have enough money to retire? And that's, that's gotta be the most common question I'd imagine. Sure. And if it's not, you know, it should be right. Right. Um, and, uh, or you could put it another way. People will say, how do I know I'm not going to run out of money in my lifetime? So that's kind of a little bit more um, anxiety-driven uh, way of asking the very same question, but it's, but it's important. Okay, so I want to give you a little bit of insight on the math of retirement because I think this is where, where people tend to make a lot of mistakes, a failure to really understand how the math works. So obviously, if you're living in the United States and you've been working, you have one of two things going for you. You either have a Social Security payment or you've got some type of federal pension that, as a result, you don't have Social Security, but you probably get a lot more. So theoretically, once everybody reaches age 62, there's money coming in. Now, the question, of course, is, is that going to be enough? And I get that. So whether or not you um, have enough money to retire is largely based on you. You know, what are your habits? What are the things that you do? What, are the, what kind of a lifestyle is it that you want? Sadly, uh, about 70% of retirees live solely on their Social Security benefits. That's, a, that's an incredible yeah. Isn't that number. crazy? Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? So, you know, you know, they may be getting by on, you know, 2000 If they're married, maybe $3,000 a month, which is, is manageable depending on what part of the country you're in. I mean, if you live in New York, it's not possible, but... You know, there's certainly, if you have your house paid off, et cetera, look, it's a modest lifestyle. And if that's okay with you, then there's nothing wrong with that. Most people hopefully will have a nest egg above and beyond their social security benefits or above and beyond their pension benefits. So now the logical question is, how long is this money going to last? All right. You know that there's no way to determine in advance what rate of return you're going to get every year. I mean, so that is becomes the big problem. 
you could get a guaranteed rate of return of zero if you wanted. Obviously, you could put the money in a jar, you could figure out how long to live, and you could just pull out increments. Of course, you don't really know how long you're going to live. We're not going to do that. That's, that's obvious. So the, now the question is, what rate of return am I likely to get on the money? And given the consumption that I'm likely to take from it, how long is that money going to last? In terms of return, again, we don't know. Uh, you could if you wanted to, and some people do this. You don't have to worry about return. You could give your savings to an insurance company, and they'll give you an income stream for life. The size of the income stream will be dependent upon how much money you give them, how old are you, and what are the current interest rates that we're, we're operating in. And that's what an annuity does. Now, annuity can do a lot of other things, but that's essentially what we call annuitization. Turning your money over to somebody else, in return getting an income stream. Now, understand that the goal of the insurance company is only to give you back the same amount of money you gave them or less. Their goal is not to give you more than you gave them. That's not how they make their money. So they have 200 years of actuarial data. They have a pretty good idea how long you're likely to live. And they're going to give you an income stream that only if you live beyond your life expectancy are you probably going to get more than what you gave them. However, you get some peace of mind of knowing the check is always going to show up at the first of the month. You can do that. The downsides, of course, is that the uh, you probably are not going to get any type of inflationary increase. So you're actually going to get less money each and every year. And there's probably some taxable implications associated with what they're going to pay you. But that's another way that you could find out. A better way, in my opinion, but it is a little bit more complex, is to understand that if you have a portfolio that has, say, stocks and bonds and is therefore subjecting you to volatility, the fact that you're not going to get the same rate of return each and every year, that there is a way that you can, using statistics, that you can get a pretty good idea how much money you could pull out net of tax without, without exhausting it in your lifetime, even though you don't know your exact rate of return each and every year. And the way that we do that, we call it a Monte Carlo simulation, which I know is a fancy term. But really, all we're doing is we are looking at your portfolio and how it's currently measured. We can statistically determine what your one-year rate of return range is likely to be. Statistically, we can do that within a 5% margin of error. And then what we then do is we'll run simulations based on that range of return. And 10,000 simulations, we'll pick a random rate of return for each year. And from there, we'll take a look at all those simulations and how many of those did you have years where you actually ran out of money? Was it 50% or was it 15%, 20%? And if it's a high number, well, now we know what we need to change. We need to, need to make the portfolio a little bit more less volatile. Uh, we need to maybe spend a little less. We maybe need to push back the retirement. But this is a statistical stress test that needs to be done. And too often people, they overlook that. Um, they just think, well, I'll just plug it into Microsoft Excel. I'll give myself a 6% every year. If I pull out five, I'll retire with more money. Yeah, the problem is you're not gonna get 6% every year. Some years you're gonna get negative six. And when you get negative six, you have to sell more shares to get the same check. So even though markets can come back in the future, those extra shares are gone. So I know this may sound like a long answer, but I just want everyone to know that the answer is there. It does require some study mathematically, but in the end, it's really all about you. Whether or not you have enough money to retire depends upon you. I have clients who are retired at $20,000 a month, and they're always telling me how tight it feels. 
and I have some retiring at $5,000 a month and they're doing everything in their life they've ever wanted to do. So there is no right or wrong answer, but it has to be custom designed to you. Yeah, so on the on the how do you know if you have enough money to retire, it's going to depend. It's it's just one of those answers unfortunately that I we know. can't just pinpoint something, but it's adult diapers, it depends. At the same <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, Dan, there's comfort in that, I think. In that, you yeah. know, the answer isn't a million and then you say, "Oh, I'm never going to oh, get no. there." Or 10 million and you say, "Oh, I'll, I'm yeah. never going to reach that number." It's almost yeah. there's almost beauty in the fact that uh, there is no right answer that there's going to be different ways to craft different plans for different people. And that that's comforting yeah. actually in a way. Yeah, and and so often when people come see me, there's this level of panic in their eyes about retirement and then when we actually do the math properly, they can say, oh, it's really a lot better than I thought it would be. And, uh, you know, one thing you have to give up a little bit, though, I think sometimes we all want to have a situation where, you know, I'll put half a million dollars in, it'll give me 30 grand each and every year, and I'll always have half a million. Unfortunately, that's usually not the way it works. There's going to be some years where you're going to get return that's in excess of what you take, but you're also going to have the occasional year where you're going to take a more than the return. As long as you have studied that, and you understand your volatility, uh, the chances are you're going to be okay. But I can never guarantee you a certain value in a certain year. So if someone wants to say to me, you know, how much money will I have when I at age 85? I have no idea. But I will be able to tell you this. I will be able to tell you how likely it is you'll have any money when you reach age 85. Mm. Again, that's the do you have enough money to retire question, yeah. and how do you know the right answer? And that how do you know question extends to other things, Dan. I'm sure you often hear, how do you know if you're going to get a good rate of return on a particular investment? And that or, one you kind of really, shrug your shoulders sure. on too, right? Well, the, the thing is, it's more the question of, I got 7% last year, was that good? That's the real oh, issue. Oh, okay. Here. Flipping right? so it around more, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, it's more about, okay, I know this, I know what I got, but was that a good rate of return or was that a bad rate of return? All right, and that's a great question. The, the first thing we have to ask ourselves is what rate of return do you need over time to get the retirement you want? And how do you get that in the most consistent manner possible? Now, if we're going to go a little bit deeper and we're going to look at your actual investments, one of the things that I always do when someone comes in to see us is we look at their existing portfolio. I'd say probably 80, 85% of the people who come see us are using what we call actively managed products. These are, these are products, usually mutual funds, that are trying to outperform some index. It could be the Standard Poor's 500, for example. It could be the small cap index, whatever. And what these funds are doing is they're doing a lot of buying and selling in an attempt to beat market averages. And rarely do they. Um, study after study, year after year, only about 20% beat market averages. Uh, the other 80% come in below. And it's a different 20% that succeed every single year. So to me, if you're getting market rates of return for that market, then you're getting good rates of return. If you're getting above market rates of return for that particular sector, well, that's obviously very good too. But just be careful because you might have been, say, in a large cap fund that outperformed the Standard Poor's 500 last year. Statistically, it's, it's highly likely it'll underperform in future years simply because in order to beat markets with skill, you got to get information before anyone gets it. And there's, you know, Nobel Prize after Nobel Prize has been written on the fallacy of trying to beat market averages with skill. So, 
when someone says to me, you know, I got 7%, is this good? Well, the first thing we're going to look at is what are you investing in and what asset class is it in? If you're matching the rate of return of the large U.S. stock market, for example, well, that's good. Look, you can't, the, the, the market does what the market does. So if the market was up 12 and that part of your portfolio got 12, that part that's in large U.S., great. But if that part of your portfolio did eight, no, that's a problem. Now, your total portfolio is always going to underperform that part of your portfolio that performed the best. I mean, when we diversify, we accept that. But the key question now here is, am I properly diversified? Am I diversified in a way where risk and and long-term return ranges can be measured? And if I am, are they they applicable for me? So whether you got 7% or 12%, it, 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 it's not really relevant until you really look at it a little bit more carefully. So I'll have a client, for example, comment that their neighbor was up 40% last year and they might have been up eight. I'm like, well, obviously he was probably not as diversified. He probably was narrowing his, his holdings. And just like when technology was booming and my clients were doing, I don't know, high single digit, low double digit, and their tech neighbors were doing 40%, well, everything tends to revert back to the mean. And that's what we see what happens there. We start to see that markets pull back, and if you're not diversified, you might be enjoying the upswing, but you're not going to enjoy the downswing that goes with it. And keep in mind, when you're playing that sort of comparison game, who the audience is, because your your neighbor, what if they're in their 30s or 40s and you're approaching 60, you're in two Mm -hmm. different segments of life that require different strategies for planning. Right. And I'll tell you this, if you're in a diversified portfolio, properly diversified portfolio, there's always going to be some component of your portfolio that you can brag about if you want to go there. I kind of look at it like a baseball team. You know, in the National League, which, by the way, is the only pure form of baseball, (laughs) nobody really cares if the pitcher can't hit. That's not his job. His job is to stop the other team from hitting. So if you want to talk about how great your baseball team, so me, I'm a Mets fan, right? I'm not going to talk about how good a hitter Noah Syndergaard is. That's just not his job. I might talk about how good a hitter Jonas Cespedes is, but... You know, if I talk about the team as a whole, well, the team as a whole is batting under 300, but that's good in a diversified team. So, well, close to 300 is good. 290 is great, but you know, 210 wouldn't be good. But anyway, what I want you to see here is there are components, and they're all going to perform at different times. There are going to be games where Syndergaard is lights out and he wins one nothing, which is good because the hitter stunk that day. And there's going to be other days where he just doesn't have his stuff and the hitters bail him out. Well, that's, that's the game. That's the diversification game. And we just need to understand that. But more importantly, we need to understand if, if how we're diversified is proper for you. And that's the kind of testing that we do for our clients, and we do it on an annual basis as we do our reviews with them. We're talking about how do you know certain things in the financial world, and how do you know you have enough money to retire? How do you know if you're getting a good rate of return? Another one that we could throw in there, Dan, how do I know or how do you know how much life insurance we're going to need? Yeah, great question. Well, let's, let's first think about the purpose of life insurance for most people. It's to replace future earnings. Right. So in my case, let's say I plan on working another, I don't know, don't, don't hold me to this, folks. Let's just say I'm going to work another 15 years. All right. 
So if I, I can take a look at what I earned last year, the year before, probably have a good idea maybe what I'm likely to earn between now and year 15. Whatever amount of money that is, there's a present value of that money. In other words, there's an amount of money that invested today would replace that same income stream. That is the amount of money that you should insure if your goal is to replace all your earnings. So if you've got a, um, a family and let's say one person in the family makes $100,000 a year and they're going to work for another 20 years, let's just forget inflation for a second. That means they'll earn, they'll earn at least $2 million, all right? Well, there's an amount of money that you could have today that would replace $100,000 a year for 20 years. It's not $2 million. Okay, it might be 1.2 million, right? Because you're going to invest the money, you're going to get a return over time. So that that is the amount of money that I generally would recommend someone do, the present value of their future earnings. Now, as a multiple, that might be 10, 12 times your earnings. We have to actually do the math because it's going to be based on return. Now, you may decide, you know what? I don't need to replace all my earnings. I only need to replace half my earnings. Fine. That is the right number then. You always want to think about it in terms of what you are replacing. When I see situations, though, where families will have maybe, you know, someone makes $125,000 a year and he only has $500,000 worth of life insurance, I'm like, you know, so you're basically only going to replace a few years of your earnings. That's fine if you are conscious of that and you're okay with that. Certainly, you can also factor in your other assets in getting to that number that you need to get to. But just understand that if you're, if you're healthy and if you're under the age of 60, replacing 100% of your future earnings is relatively cheap. It really is if you're going to use term insurance, which I generally would recommend someone use for that type of a scenario. So let's just understand what it is we're looking to replace in the event of your death. If your death is going to create economic hardship, well, that's usually going to be defined by the amount of salary that you produce. So let us figure out what is the present value of those future earnings. It's not a very complicated calculation. Again, it could fall somewhere between 10 and 12 times earnings, but we should be a little bit more precise than that. But that's the, usually the number you'll hear on the, on the various commercials. Yeah, always good to keep these things in mind. And not only are you going to hear how much life insurance you need, but what kind is kind of wrapped into that well, equation too. And, but yeah, but just understand this. The most important thing is you get the death benefit that you need. So the, the, to me, the right answer is, well, what can you afford? For most people, if they can afford to get the death benefit they need by buying term insurance, if that's the cheapest way to go and that gives them the maximum of death benefit, I'd rather they do that because sometimes I've seen people buy permanent insurance with a very low death benefit because that's all they could afford for permanent. Permanent is always going to cost more because it's literally insurance for the rest of your life. Term is, is, is insurance for a period of time, 15, 20 years. So... I would much rather somebody have term insurance where they're fully insuring their exposure than someone using a permanent policy where they're getting much less. So just, just be a little bit mindful of that. The insurance agent will always get paid more by selling you the permanent product. Um, not saying that's the primary motivation, but when it comes to just income replacement, now there's other reasons to have life insurance. And in some of those other reasons, the permanent policy is better. But when we're talking income replacement, which is really the reason why most people are buying insurance, you're generally going to get a much better bang for your buck with term insurance. We're talking with Dan Capril, of course, of Matson and Capril about how do you know the answer to certain things here on Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. And last but not least, Dan, how do you know if you're going to need long-term care 
insurance. Yeah, you know, I can almost tell you if you're a living, breathing human being, you probably need it unless you're super affluent or you have no money. Because this is an issue that is just going to become a bigger and bigger problem. As we get older, the, the likelihood that we will need assistance with the activities of daily living just grow. Uh, it's been estimated once you get to age 65, there's about a 50% chance that you're going to need it. Medicare doesn't pay for it. Medicaid pays for it. But Medicaid only pays for it when you have no money. So you need to have a long-term care plan. I think that at the very least, you, you know, everybody should explore this. You know, my, my quick answer is unless, unless you are, you know, unless you have assets under 100000 this is something you really should look at. Certainly, you have to be able to afford it. I get that. And there's a number of ways and strategies you can do it. But please, folks, don't put your head in the sand on this issue. Of all the recommendations that we make, this is probably the one that's most easily ignored by clients. And um, we don't forget. We come back and remind them about it. But it's a big, big issue. And it probably is only going to get to be a bigger issue as time goes on. And there's nothing, nothing worse than seeing a couple self-insure this exposure and not be able to afford it and watching their savings just dwindle away and that healthy spouse having very little when it's all said and done. So how do you know? You know because you're a living, breathing person. You probably are going to need some type of custodial care in your life. Therefore, we need to ask ourselves, what's the most cost-effective way in us to, to address that problem? So all good planning issues. If you're not certain that you know the answer to these things, give me a call. Certainly, if you're one of our clients, please call me right now. I can almost assure you we've told you, but it's probably time for a review. But if you're not and you're just curious about these things, don't hesitate. Give me a call. Happy to talk with you. Um, you can go to quizdan.com and you can ask questions there. There's a, if you scroll down just a little bit, there's a, there's a button there for asking me a question. Or you can give my office a call, 513-563-PLAN. That's 513 563 7526. Again, quizdan.com, the place to go online. You can request a retirement rescue toolkit right there on the homepage. And you can always, of course, call directly 513 563 PLAN. 513 563 PLAN. Here in Cincinnati, Beaver Creek, Northern Kentucky. Dan has office locations in all three spots. He's the president of Matson and Capril. And Dan, thanks for the guidance on today's podcast. Appreciate it as always pleasure. Everybody have a fantastic week. For Dan Capril, I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you on the next Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Capril or about today's topic, visit matsonandcapril.com. And be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Dan Capril is an investment advisor representative of MPM Wealth Advisors and Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC. Both firms are registered investment advisors. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a private policy statement for either firm, call 800-353-7923.